0: I, um, could I uh, could I get you to uh, look up here for a moment? I mean, most of you probably already are. I, I have you looking up here at me. Okay, okay now, um, I, I want you to do something. Actually, I want you to not to do something. I don't want you to smile. No, no really, I, I mean, I don't want you to smile. I mean, I see some of you are doing it. You're smiling. You can't help yourself, you are doing it. Why are you smiling? I'm asking you not to and you're doing it anyway, Addie. It's getting pretty bad and now you're even laughing. Most of you smile when we do that, you know? I don't know if you have ever played that game or not with children, and I don't know why it seems to work with them, but so often when you do play that game, especially with children, well, they can't help themselves, they can't help but smile. It's not at all as though you're manipulating them. I mean, they know the joke too, right? And they know you really want them to smile, and it kind of tickles them that you're telling them not to. And of course, you can't help but smile yourself when you play that game. I don't know how many times I did that with my kids. Sometimes they didn't like it because they were grumpy, and I tried to do it when they were grumpy, and sometimes they would smile in spite of themselves. But that happens. It's, in a sense, the most natural thing in the world for us to do in response to that game, and it's to smile. It's not manipulation. It's not because they're sinful. It's just a game, and and the kids get that, and they play the game with you. But, you know, in a similar way, Christians have a kind of natural response that just, well, just kind of wells up in us when we get a glimpse of our great God. And what we do is we sing. We, we really can't help ourselves. It, it's really the most natural thing in the world for Christians to do when our heart turns towards God is that we sing. The world really doesn't get that, you know. And the further away from our Christian roots we, as a culture, move, the more strange it seems to them that a group of people should gather around together and sing. They understand concerts well enough. And they, and they may want to sing along with some favorite song, but getting together to hear a well, not to hear a band, but, but simply that we should sing together and that we should sing to God of all things is really beyond them. They don't they don't get it. And we, on the other hand, can't help it. And if we were asked why we sang, we would say it's God. This is why we sing. Now I understand. I understand what it's like when you come here on a Sunday. Our singing can become part of the service. It's easy to think it's just what we do when we gather together on Sundays. It doesn't seem strange to us because we do it regularly. And because we do it regularly, it can and does sometimes, maybe even for long periods, it loses some of the wonder. And then... Our God reaches out and touches us once again, not always on a Sunday. I mean, He's always with us, of course. Maybe He reveals Himself through the glory of creation, or He whispers to you through His Word. A friend shares his or her amazement over God's working in their life or the life of the loved ones. Sometimes And that sense of wonder and awe and joy returns. And and we want to praise him. We want to sing. I do it. (laughs) Not here so much unless everybody's singing around me when I'm alone. Or maybe when my family's there because they've already heard me when I make that noise that I glibly call singing. But it comes out, the joy. joy. that, that exalting in our God. And the text that we're going to look at today is one of those texts that, that really ought to make our hearts soar. We might say that it looks directly at God and it speaks about him. It reveals truths about our God which we couldn't discover on our own. And yet none of what we see here is new to us talk about today uh, we've all heard before but it can be a cause once again for celebrating our God it's kind of like our holidays you know they're not new I mean year after year they're the same the same meal the same gatherings the same return routines and yet we look forward to them and they renew us so seeing God again renews us and it renews that frill that makes us want to stay. Now lastly, we looked at uh, the land of grace, if you remember. The place whereby God's love and goodness we dwell. Here today, we're going to look at God who made a way for us, who opened the door so we could enter in, and who saves us completely. And so I want to invite you to join me once again, if you would, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, where we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. And of course, we'll have the text up on the screen on either side of me. So as Paul's thoughts turn from the grace we stand in to the God of all grace, he makes a number of statements about him, but he also says some things about us, about you and me. Uh, We're mentioned in this text for really two reasons. First, uh, so that we can see God more clearly. There's a kind of a comparison that's going on which humbles us but exalts him. And then secondly, we're mentioned here because God does all the things that he does here in these texts for us. It's for you and me who, without God, are, as Paul goes on to say... Ungodly, powerless, sinful, and frankly, the enemies of God. That's not very flattering, I, I know, but it's true. And seeing that makes our God look all the more amazing. All that you and I enjoy in this world of an eternal nature is of God. And Paul begins this section in verse 6 where we read, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, in case you missed it, we, human beings, you and I, are the ones who are powerless and ungodly. And Christ died for us. Now, if you had just this one statement, you would wonder just why would he do that? And we're not told the why until verse 8. Here, all we know is that we were powerless. That is, there was nothing that we could do to make any difference in our situation. We couldn't help ourselves. Like an animal caught in quicksand with... With no way out, the harder you struggle and the worse it gets. We're absolutely powerless. And we're ungodly, or we were ungodly until Christ came into our life. There was nothing in us which could make us attracted to God. We were (laughs) anti-God. Like oil and water, we didn't mix. But Christ died for us. There's an interesting phrase here. It says at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You know, this is a window into eternity. God knew just the right time to send Jesus. And we really don't know what that means. Not fully. We, we could speculate. Maybe Maybe the temple worship had run its course and was no longer really helpful in bringing outsiders to God. You know, that was part of the purpose of the temple, was that people outside the faith would come to God at the temple. Or maybe the circumstances in the world were right for the gospel. There was the Pax Romana, the peace in the world at that time, which made travel safer. And there was a Roman road system which made it possible to, to travel. And, and there was a common language. Everyone spoke Koine Greek and so you could communicate. Or maybe the pagan culture itself was at a point where they were ready to hear the good news. Maybe. Just maybe we could translate it as, In the nick of time, Christ died for the ungodly. Which would mean the spiritual condition beyond our ability really to understand was such that God knew he had to act for our sakes. The best we can say and be sure of what we're saying is that God's timing is always right. And what he did, he did for our sakes. Powerless and ungodly. At just right time. In the nick of time, Christ died for you and me. Verses 7 and 8 put that statement into perspective and tell us just why God did what he did. He did it because as amazing as it is, is, he loves us. So we read, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that's saying? It's saying it's not because you and I were righteous. righteous. It's not because we were good guys. It's simply because God loved us and Christ died It's not somehow because we had some manner or another cleaned up our act. We were still sinners when Christ died for us because God loved us. Christ's death on that cross demonstrates, we could say it declares, God's love for us. You know those times in your life when it it seems as though everything is against you. When nothing you do seems to make any difference, when the weight of the world seems to be bearing down on you, when you feel all your own inadequacies and failures, when even those closest to you don't understand. You know, this time when you turn to God and you say, why is this happening? Why don't you do something? When you are angry with him, because you feel as though he doesn't care. And you tell him that, like I've done. And what does God do at those times? He quietly listens. He doesn't rebuke us. Sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he just silently remains near you. Though you're in your state, you might not even know it. But sooner or later, he brings you back to the cross. And he says, You wonder if I love you. Look there. That's where I declare my love for you. Not because you were righteous, not because you were good, not because you deserve it, but because I love you. And that doesn't change with your circumstances or even with your moods. I am. God, and I change not? At just the right time, God sent his son to die for us, so he might demonstrate his love for us, though we have done nothing to deserve it. Quite the opposite of that. (laughs) All that we have done deserves only his wrath. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What you and I deserve, because of the way we've lived, because of our sin is the wrath of God. I want you to make no mistake about this. There are other people who are worse than you are, or I am, um, and you and I are not as bad as we could be still. The Bible says very clearly all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. What we deserve is wrath. And if you don't know it, you should. Until you come to Christ, you are under God's wrath. Uh, It hasn't fallen yet, but it's there. It's hanging like that proverbial sword of Damocles, dangling over you. As John tells us, whoever believes in the Son of God is eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now, maybe you've had someone in your life. You feel that you have to kind of tiptoe around. Because you know if you make them angry, things are going to be just so unpleasant and you've like death itself. Well, imagine if you had to endure the wrath of God. I mean, you couldn't stand up on it. Like a building falling on you, like the, the world trade, Power collapsing on you, you would be utterly undone. Yet, once we're cleansed by the blood of Christ, now that Christ has died for us, we're saved from God's wrath. And indeed, the text even says it says, How much more will you be saved from His wrath? You know, there's times when your child has done something wrong, or maybe you have to remember being a child yourself and having done something wrong. And either it was confessed or it was found out. And then there was this appropriate response from the parent. You can imagine what that might have been. You can remember what you might have done. But sometime later, the child goes to mom and dad and says, Mommy, Daddy, are you still angry with me? How does mom and dad say that? Don't they say... Oh, child, that's that's all taken care of. I'm not angry with you anymore. I love you. you. You want to assure them, you want to reassure them that you belong together as a family, united by love. And that's what God is saying to us here. All of those bad things we've done, well, we've come to Christ. We've been justified. God loves us, and he isn't angry with us anymore. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Just the right time. God sent his son to die for us, so he might demonstrate his love for us, though we've done nothing to deserve it. And we've been justified by God himself, so that God is not angry. But there's even more here about God in this passage. It's not just that God isn't angry anymore. He's also working in our lives now to make us all that we should be to fulfill his purpose in us. You see, the day is coming because of God's work in us that we will know what we were made for, and we will rejoice in that knowledge. So verse 10 says, "...for if, while we were God's enemies..." We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Now, there are really two pretty amazing things happening in this verse. The first one is that we're reconciled to God. We were his enemies and now we're his friends. And that's exactly how we would explain that word "reconciled" to a child. Enemies who have become friends. I have explained that to children using that very first phrase over and over again and talking with them about the relationship that they can have with God. And it works for the child because it's something that even a child can understand because that's exactly what it means. And so it works for adults too. We were God's enemies, but we have been made God's friends. It took the death of a son to do it, but God reconciled us to himself. And secondly, God is at work in our lives. The text tells us we shall be saved. And here that word saved is referring not to that initial act of salvation when we're justified, but to God's ongoing work in our lives, which we refer to theologically as sanctification. See, God's at work in our life. He's making us more like Jesus. He's making us more and more into that idea uh, that he had when he first created us. Many of you, many of us know. Maybe, maybe you've only heard it, but but we know that um, from our own experience that that the thing in life that God made us. If I say that is what I was made to do. Well, as good as that is, it's only a hint of what waits us at the end of our journey. When we are not only doing some temporary job down here, but we become all that God has meant us to be. Notice the progression in this verse. We were enemies. We were reconciled. We were reconciled by the death of His Son but now God is at work in our lives. And just how much more will he work now that his son has been raised from the dead? The idea is this. If if I did this for you when you were my enemies, just imagine how much more I will do for you now that you're my friends. Again, at just... God sent his son to die for us. He demonstrated his love for us, though we've done nothing to deserve it. We've been justified by God himself so that he's not angry with us anymore. And we're now his friends and are finding out just how good a thing it is to have God in our life and have him as our friend. And finally, God changed the way we see him. He's given us a real understanding of who he is. Verse 11 says this, Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This friendship we have with God has led us to the place where we boast in God. And again, we've talked about this before, but but that word boast kind of leaves a bad taste in our mouths, and so sometimes we translate it as we boast rejoice in God, as the old NIV put it, or or we exult in Him, as the NAS translates it. And and we do. We, We rejoice in Him, and we exult in Him. It's really not going too far to say that God thrills us. In our better moments, not all the time, because we're still subject to the weakness of sin, but in our best moments, the very thought of God delights us. But that word boast can add an element to our understanding. It, it might help if we said something like this. Now that we're God's friends, we brag on him. You see, if our, if our hearts are full of God, it, it can't help but come out in the things we say. After all, it was Jesus self, himself who told us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As our understanding of God grows, as we receive more and more of the good in Him, and all those things that we say about Him will sound like bragging on Him. I mean, they do in other areas. When our son or daughter accomplishes something that makes us happy, we want to tell others. I mean, we're a little restrained because we don't want to sound like we're bragging, but it's really natural to, to want to tell others. When we first meet the love of our life, we can't stop talking about him or her. Gosh, people even talk about cars and footballs like that. See, you know Christ, you know something about what Paul was saying here. Now, I want you to think back for a minute. Can you remember how you felt about God before you came to the cross? Do you, do you remember thinking that God was distant and uncaring? Or that He was just out to get you when your sin? Or maybe you felt shame because of the things you've done and you tried to avoid thinking about Him at all. Or maybe you even thought that God is just too hard, so you just the right time, sent his son to die for you, demonstrating his love for you, though you and I haven't done a thing to deserve it, who himself justifies us, but God who's not angry with us anymore, we're now his friends, and we, we are finding out just how good a thing it is to have God as and our very ideas about God have changed, so we exalt in Him, we rejoice in Him, and He comes out of the things we say. So, I don't know if anyone will ever ask you. Sometimes people do. Sometimes they ask, just why is it? Tell them that. Tell them when we were ungodly, powerless, sinful, and the enemies of God. Not because we were righteous. Not because we were good. God, in the very nick of time, sent his son to die for us. He declared his love for us. He sent him to justify us, to reconcile us, to deliver us from the wrath which our sins deserve, to make us what we ought to be in this world and in the world to come. And so, on that and you should be glad that I am. And we're gonna get the worship team back up here. And I'm gonna pray while they're on the way. Thank you, Father. Thank you for revealing yourself to us.